It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is Mystery Train by the great Elvis Presley. Today would have been his birthday. Uh, we'll chat a little bit more about Elvis late, uh, a little bit later. He was born on this day in 1935, and he is one of only a handful of entities in really the modern era that you could just say one name and you know exactly who you're talking about. Elvis. Cher, Bono, Garfield? In the case of Garfield, nobody is talking about the president. lot to learn about that president, James Garfield. Everyone in the world is talking about the cat. And it's true. Garfield has existed on in comic strip form for many years. He's an integral. I was reading the comics today because I'm one of the people that still gets the uh, newspapers. And there was a fun Garfield comic in there. But to me... What made me a fan of Garfield was one of the most iconic Saturday morning television shows of all time. It was in the 80s, Garfield and Friends. I cannot believe they did the sort of things they did on that program. The show was not only funny, but even when I go back and watch episodes to pull a clip from the radio or something, it still holds up today And it's funny, not just for children, but it's funny for adults. They make jokes about double entendres. You know, we did this uh, whole show about procrastination recently, and you have these characters on a Saturday morning cartoon show kind of alluding to the fact that they're talking about procreation. They keep saying, oh, you can't talk about that on television. The show is hysterical. I, for some reason, I don't think this show has gotten its just desserts in the pantheon of animated programming that was way ahead of its time. If you have not seen Garfield and Friends, you are missing out. Here we are, entrance to mall. Level 8 full, use level 9. This section, theater parking only. There doesn't seem to be a space on this level. I'll try one up. Wake me when you find a space or we stop for gas, whichever occurs first. This is my space. I made it. Please remember you are in aisle K, level 17, blue section. Aisle K, level 17, blue. Better write it down. I know you think I should write it down, but when I get a fact in my head, you know what happens to it? It dies of loneliness. Wave goodbye to the car, Odie. We'll never see it again as long as we live. The thing that's amazing about Garfield is the the segments were so highbrow, so interesting, so intellectual. People are not only still talking about them to this day, 
but they're legitimately inspiring conspiracy theories to this day. Have you heard the conspiracy theory that there's no state of Wyoming? Well, that is, and I'm not joking here, that is a conspiracy theory that was born out of an episode of Garfield. I am just thrilled uh, to be joined by Mark Evanier. He is a comic book and television writing legend known for his work on many different comics, many different TV programs, including, though, the animated television series Garfield and Friends. Mark, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for staying up late with us. Thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. You're the first person who ever interviewed me on the radio who did. Well, hey, Mark, I, uh, I, I get paid the big bucks for a reason. You see, I mean, I'm no amateur here. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, all right. Now, the tricky part is I almost called you uh, Mayork. I almost mispronounced your first name. That was the tricky thing. Hey, uh, Mark, so for people that aren't familiar with your history, uh, I know you grew up in California, one of the rare people to grow up in Los Angeles and then work there professionally. I know your dad worked for the IRS. How do you go from being the son of an IRS man to being a a writer? What made you want to be a writer? Well, the problem was my father hated his job. He, it was, he had the worst job in the world and he was a depression era kid and depression. A lot of depression era kids grew up to take any job you could get because the most important thing was to feed your family and have a paycheck on Friday. And that was the job he got stuck with. So when I was about six, he sat me down and he said, Mark, I want you, whatever you want to be in this world, go after anything, do anything you want in this world, as long as you love it. And I said, I think I want to be a writer. And he said, do you have a second choice? And I said, no. And, and that's where I went. And, and so I just started writing the thing. I enjoyed writing. And uh, I stumbled into, I, read, I grew up on comic books. I read every comic book that ever existed. I had them all memorized. I, I, had the, I was watching TV all the time. One of my thrills in my life was I got to work with Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera, who did my favorite cartoons, and with Jay Ward a little bit, who did my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. And I got to work with all the voice actors in those shows later on. Quite a few of them were on Garfield and Friends. I kept hiring people who did the cartoons of my childhood to do voices on the, on the show that I was uh, voice directing. You also you you also did a lot of live action uh, television as well, right? Didn't you write for Welcome Back, right. Cotter, among other shows? I wrote for I wrote for Welcome Back, Cotter. I wrote for Love Boat. I wrote for the only unsuccessful sitcom that Bob Newhart ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote an awful lot of variety shows. I wrote a lot of you know different. I just you know I just kind of would run around and whatever people wanted me to write, I'd write. And uh, when when I originally wanted to be a writer. I didn't really know what I wanted to be a writer of because there were a lot of options. And I thought, well, I'll settle for comic books or cartoons or live action TV or any of those things. And I eventually got to do all of them. And I had never thought that was possible. But uh, when I was a very young man, I was taken to see an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show being filmed live in front of of an audience. And I said, oh, I want to do that. I want to be involved in a a TV show, and I, you know, twelve years later, I was story editor on Welcome Back, Cotter, and I went, "Oh my God, I made it!" You know, very strange. You know, as obviously as I alluded to, the uh, show Garfield and Friends has a special place in in my heart. How did you come to be involved with Garfield? Uh, I wrote a lot of different cartoon shows for Saturday Morning, and I was writing a lot for CBS, and uh, uh, they had me writing a 
pilot for a Michael Jackson cartoon show. This is back when he was kid-friendly the right way. And uh, the show wasn't working out. I, we had, I was, we had to meet with Michael Jackson and discuss this with him. And I finally said, this show will never work. And mm. I, I basically moonwalked off the whole project and <laughs> I owed CBS some money because I, I, I quit the show and they said, instead of paying us back, we'd like you to write a pilot for a Garfield cartoon show for us. And I said, well, really, you want me to go meet with Jim Davis and talk about the strip? I love the comic strip. He, they said, no, just write us a script. Because at that point, the Garfield primetime animated specials were very successful. Garfield had a very high profile, and he was one of the few characters that had a very high rating with kids. They had this thing called the TVQ, where they mm -hmm. measure, you know, have things. And he was one of the very few characters in the world that wasn't owned by Warner Brothers or Disney or one of the big conglomerates. He was available, theoretically, but Jim Davis wouldn't do a Saturday morning show because Jim didn't think that anyone but he could write the, the character, and he didn't have time to write in 13 half hours a season of, of that. So they said, if we can find a writer that you like, will you let us do it? And he said, yeah, skeptically. So CBS commissioned this script from me. They sent it to Jim. And one day I get this call from Jim Davis saying, uh-oh, I guess somebody else is going to write Garfield the way I want it written. And that's what and he agreed to do the show as long as I wrote all of them. Oh, really? That was that was part of the contract, yeah. I had to write all of the show episodes. Well, so I was just going to ask you about that, because obviously Jim Davis created Garfield as a comic strip character, and then you're going in another direction, putting him on television as a television character. How do you know that you're not going to, or how does he know, I guess, that you're not going to take Garfield, the character, in a very different place than where he's taking him in the comic strip? Was there any kind of collaboration with stories or anything like that? Well, Jim had done these primetime specials, some of which won Emmys. They were very acclaimed, he, and he wrote those. So I had a template for how to do Garfield animation that he had set up. Then I flew, they flew me back to Muncie, Indiana, where Garfield headquarters were located. And Jim and I met and sat and talked for a couple of days about things and ideas and things. And then I started writing scripts and I sent them to him and he okayed this one and he okayed this one. And, and after a little while, he said, hey, don't bother even sending me the scripts anymore. Just go ahead and do it. Hmm. He, he, we, we, we were, it was clicking so perfectly with what he wanted, one of those you know, I mean, I've worked for a lot of people where we never connected. We, you know, Stephen Sondheim used to say the most important thing on any uh, Broadway show is that everybody's doing the same show. Make sure everyone's at the right, same, sure. going for the same thing. And Jim suddenly decided that we were going for the same thing. And so I did seven seasons of this show. Um, and CBS left us alone. There were almost, you know, you, you hear all these stories about the, 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 uh, standards and practices people and the pressure groups ruining Saturday morning television. And that was true when I worked for Hanna-Barbera before that. It was true when I worked for Ruby Spears before that. It was true when I worked for a lot of other cartoon studios. But on the Garfield show, CBS just said, do whatever you want, and they let us go. And I got no notes for, the, for, for seven seasons. Why did the series end? I, I thought that that could have the same kind of durability that a primetime animated series like, say, The Simpsons or Family Guy would. Why did it end after seven seasons? 
Well, a, the contract on a show like that, I don't know if they still do them that way, but that contract said that every season they had to pay more for the show and more for the show and more. And the, the price went up every year. And at some point we had, a, I think it was 121 half hours and they were about to put them in this indication. And the CBS people said, well, listen, we're paying a fortune for this show. Since you're going to make all that money off the syndication of those episodes, we think you should lower the price that we pay Mm. for new episodes. And Jim Davis and Lee Mendelson, who was one of the executive producers, the guy who put the whole deal together, and Phil Roman, who ran the animation studio that did the actual animation, and I, we all got together. And we said, no, let's not do that. Let's just... Let's just stop now. We can do another Garfield show a few years later if we want, maybe. But let's put those 121 half hours into syndication as opposed to deficit financing uh, the future episodes. It, it didn't become cost effective. One of the things that happens in the syndication of cartoons is that, is that they rerun very well. Mm. Most cartoon shows rerun better than live action shows because the kids don't get as tired of seeing the same episodes again and because they don't date. There's nothing, there's no topical humor in them. They, they can run them forever. So um, if we, it, it, basically, you know, the number one reason shows get canceled was money. It wasn't a good investment for, this, for the show to make more episodes after a certain point because it wouldn't enhance the syndication package any. We would get the same amount of money off 150 shows that we got, we're getting for other 121 shows. And we'd we'd lose all that money on all on on the, you know, the 31, nine other shows we made or whatever. You, you alluded to, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Mark Evanier. You check out his website. It's really interesting. It's called newsfromme.com. A lot of stuff on there, not just about uh, writing and uh, animation and Garfield, but a lot of different aspects of uh, not just entertainment, but, but life in general. And it's, worth checking out news from me.com you alluded to oh, we can always come back and do garfield as a future television project now you did that right you were then a part of uh, something called the garfield show which i can't say yeah. that i have seen what, what was that well actually before that they did a bunch of garfield direct-to-video movies which i was not involved with um, that was the next time that Garfield was animated, and there were a few more primetime specials. So I wasn't involved in those. And then a company in France decided that Garfield was rerunning so well around the world that it would be cost-effective and smart to do a, a new Garfield show for the international market. And so we did that show. It was it was written here by me and by some writers in France who I worked with. We recorded the voices here, and the show was then animated twice. Kind of, was, It was animated to, in France, to a French translation, and it was animated to an English translation, the English the voices we did here. And it was sold all over the world, and countries all over the world had their option of either taking the French version and subtitling it, taking the English version and subtitling it, or redubbing the episode for their own native language. So it played, it was, it was, a, it was barely on in America, but it was a big show over, uh, around the world. Wow. And we did, we did like 200 half hours of that, which I, which I voice directed and story edited, and I was listed as a producer on it, although I did the same thing I always did when I wasn't listed as a producer. And, um, that show was a little was a little different because first of all we had to do it for the international market. So I, 
there's a lot of stuff we couldn't do. I had much more freedom just doing it for America because, you know, suddenly I can't use puns. I can't use sports. I can't use American holidays. I can't use references to things that are right, you know, right, very right. American. And also because in the interim, we'd lost Lorenzo Music, who was the voice of Garfield on all and Garfield and friends. Lorenzo had passed away. And we had a few other cast replacements also over the years. And um, also the French people, you know, understandably, since they were funding the show, had certain elements they wanted in the show. So it's a fun show. I preferred Garfield and Friends. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's come on. I, I can't imagine any anything compares uh, to that. I mean, Garfield and Friends is the is the is the measure by which all other animated uh, Saturday morning cartoons can be can be measured. Um you know, no, I'm, no, 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 it, no, no, it isn't. No, <laughs> no it isn't. I, Come on. I appreciate the compliment. I, but I disagree with Saturday you. morning shows. I, I, right. You know what? I don't I don't agree with you because I mean, and not to disparage any other shows that you worked on, but a lot of Saturday morning cartoons, they're they're more corny than than clever. They're um, not entertaining for anyone who's. I don't know, over the age of seven, at least in my experience trying to watch them, Garfield and Friends does transcend age. You have, you alluded to the music, you do have these great musical numbers, uh, the Abu Dhabi song, which I still play on the radio. You, you have these uh, great sketches. Oh, with... I, I guess I guess I'd do some ASCAP money. I wrote that song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I wasn't necessarily disparaging the other shows I worked on. I was uh, The other show... Before Garfield Friends, I worked on a lot of different shows, and the pride you take I took in those shows was these came out pretty good considering all the obstacles we had. In other words, no, this was not the show I would have done if I had complete freedom, but it was when we managed to to overcome a lot of the negatives. The shows I did for Hanna Barbera were. I felt they were better than some of the things that were coming out of Hanna-Barbera. That was the pride you could take in something mm-hmm. like that. You could say, well, this one's a little funnier. This one's got a little better voice work in it. This one's got, you know, because they were such an assembly line situation there. And you had all these things, these problems with the network interference. And it was, it was a network interference from the creative end. And it was network interference from the standards and practices. And there was a lady at, ABC for years that I had to keep mud wrestling with over uh, I was threatening Richie Rich and she kept cutting all the jokes out of it and saying you can't do that you can't have the character say that and she was and usually the standards of practices people were just like hey we're just umpires we don't make the rules we just enforce them this woman was making the rules Mm -hmm. and she was on a holy crusade to launder Saturday morning television the way she felt it should be for the tiniest kids it wasn't that she wasn't even. Uh, she was a, she was upset if we were aiming at ten year olds. She wanted us to aim at seven year olds, um, and uh, you fought, you fight those things. And Garfield was like an oasis for me because, like I said, standards and practices left us alone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Right, so why do you, why do you think they left you alone on Garfield, whereas uh, other shows like Richie Rich and others w- didn't get that same degree of freedom? What was so special about Garfield? Well, in this case, it was it wasn't just Garfield. CBS had a lady running it at the time named Judy Price. And she's also the person who put on the Muppet Baby show, which was an excellent show. Mm. She put on Pee Wee's Playhouse. She put on a Saturday morning show with Richard Pryor that I wrote some episodes for. She put on a lot of stuff. She was she had a lot of a lot of guts. She had a lot of courage. She stood up to these people. And, you know, she didn't fold if they got five letters of complaint. You know, I mean, you're on the radio. You 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 get nutty letters occasionally oh. from people complaining about things you say. Daily, or do. daily. Imagine what you would do if they, if they, the people who give you orders, people who hire you, were telling you, "Well, we got one letter. You can't do that anymore. Right. We got two letters about this. You can't do that anymore." That's what we were up against on Saturday morning, a lot, and uh, because it was for the kids, people were super sensitive, and because there were a few people there who just had this this vision of what the television should be more, much more educational and wholesome than it is. And uh, Judy didn't care about it. She just wanted to put on shows people wanted That's to watch. That's wonderful. Uh, how refreshing. Are yeah. you familiar with that Wyoming doesn't exist conspiracy theory that I alluded to a few <laughs> yes. minutes ago? Yeah. Yes. I, I found out about it fairly recently. Um, and uh, uh, I think it's true. I don't think this is no. The the uh, um, it was just something that popped into my brain one day, and I picked Wyoming because I realized I'd never met anyone from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. That was the, the the total thing behind it, and I was just picking something that was ridiculous and outrageous. It's you know it's like um, you know the defense you hear from some politicians these days. You know, no, I'm, I'm not. That's not a lie because I knew no one would believe it. Right. You know, you, you should have. You should have known that I, that that wasn't true. You know, it's it's. Uh, so you uh, you do believe you know. you're a Wyoming truther. You do believe Wyoming exists. <laughs> I believe Wyoming. I I have since met people from Wyoming. Oh, okay. But at the time, right. Okay. One of the one of the things that I think managed to make that have a, some legs to it is that that Garfield was. It, it, we we did a fake TV show on the Garfield show, which Garfield was the host of. And he was saying this idea, we, if we said it on television, it must, it must be, be true. Be true. Right. Okay. So the announcer I hired to be the announcer for Garfield's little show was Gary Owens, who people all remember as the voice of Space Ghost. He was a great radio personality, and he was the most sincere human being alive. If Gary Owens told you that it was, that, uh, you know, the moon was made out of Ublek, you would believe him. <laughs> he just had such a sincere voice. And I think that may have contributed to it. But, uh, um, you know, you, you, you go along and you think, well, everyone will understand this is a joke. And every so often, not everybody does. That is incredible. You might be the uh, only person that can answer this question. I guess maybe students of your work can also. But the only person I've talked to that can answer this question. What does the E stand for in Wild E Coyote? I'm being interviewed tomorrow by a guy who's writing a book on the history of the Roadrunner cartoons about that. Uh, I was writing the Roadrunner comic book in 1972, I think it was. And I was just trying to think of an idea for a funny story. And I decided, let's do a story about what the E stands for on Welly Coyote. And I didn't intend it to be to last any longer than that six page story. I, I just it was the joke was I, I said it was Ethelbert for Ethelbert. Everybody was Ethelbert. laughing at this. While Ethelbert Coyote. I like it. 
if I'd known it was going to catch on, I would have had it say Evanier because then <laughs> I'd get the publicity. But it was something that I thought would just, again, it would just last for six pages. Somebody would chuckle at it and then we'd forgotten. And one day someone called me up and they said, you know, it was a question on Jeopardy last night. And it was really, it was honestly, a, they had a question on, on, on Jeopardy, what Wiley Coyote's middle initial was. And <laughs> I, if, I, if I'd been a contestant, I wouldn't have answered that. <laughs> so, so um, you know, again, something had a, a life that I didn't anticipate it ever having. So, What are you working uh, on now, Mark? Anything that people can look forward to? Well, I'm doing, I do this comic book called Grew the Wanderer with my best friend in the world, a man named Sergio Aragonis. And we love doing this comic and we're doing some projects uh, that I, I'm not at liberty to talk about, but it, it will take Gru into some new areas. Right. But, um, you know, I'm doing that. And I'm writing a book on Jack Kirby, who was my mentor in the uh, comic book business. I'm writing a pilot for a, a TV series that has nothing to do with anything I've ever done before. I'm writing, um, what else am I writing? A bunch of silly little things. I'm writing a lot of biographies, slowly but surely. Um, and I'm editing. I'll tell you the book that I feel like people to look for, and I don't make a nickel off this really. Is we're reprinting the Pogo newspaper strip, which was my hmm. all-time favorite comic strip in the world. And it had never been fully reprinted and dig with any dignity. I think it was the greatest newspaper strip ever done. Um, and uh, we're now. I think we're putting volume nine to press. Uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, well, that's terrific. And they come out, and and I, I I'm the editor of that series, having inherited the um, the job of it from my late girlfriend, who was Walt Kelly's daughter. Walt Kelly created the strip. His daughter Carolyn and I were an item for 20 years, and we started doing these books together. And she passed away, and I inherited the job of being the editor mm. of it. I was never more proud to inherit something and well, uh, be able to do it, do it, do it, do it. To, to commemorate the strip and to carry on her dream project. That is uh, terrific. I'm sorry about her, her passing, but uh, what a great way to uh, keep up her legacy. All right, we've been talking with Mark Evanier. You can check out his website, newsfromme.com. Mark, I could talk with you all day. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope you'll come back. Anytime you want me. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark Evanier. If you want to comment, on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.